Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Axio Taylor, and today I'm joined by the lovely Cosmo Graham. Oh, hello. Who I've known for quite a while now. And, haven't, I, haven't you just? Yeah. And, um, right, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, um, I've known Axio for a while, as he said, and I've, I'm a final year here at Birmingham, much cry. And I do civil and railroad engineering, and met Axio in Rock Sock, and also for Metal Sock as well. A lot of fun with him over the years, from getting pissed in Nottingham to watch The Emperor's New Groove at him and his old house in Oak Tree Lane. What a film. Empress New Group is absolutely amazing. Best film ever made, yep. period. Except it's, possibly for, like, I don't know, Hot Fuzz. But it's pretty strong. Hot Fuzz is great as well. a very, very strong contender for one of my favourite films, but we're not here to talk about that. This is true. Well, today I am drinking a banana bread beer bought by Cosmo himself. Only do you happen to oblige. I myself am drinking a bottle of Salmos 2014 Torres wine of some description i know not what it is but it is fucking great it's of the red variety yes it is <laughs> like like after the last episode i um it was a metal fiend episode but i was like i feel like something a bit different so i yeah. i was listening to a uh, sabaton and who doesn't love a bit of that um which is a great resource for trying to figure out what i'm going to talk about exactly and uh, i'm going to be talking about a guy called simo Heyer, which who is quite famous and we'll, and we'll figure out why soon enough do you want to say a bit about what you're talking about? I mean, I'm going to be sort of talking about a similar sort of topic from that part of the world about the Gavla or Yevla, as it's supposed to be pronounced, goat. You will find out about that all in due course. Awesome. So, um, basically, I always let give people a choice. Would you prefer to go first or should I? You go first. You know the ropes here, actually. Perfect. Okay. Right, we'll cut to a quick clip of music and then we'll come back to it. See you in a second. Right, 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 right. So, Sima Heha, um, also known as the White Death. Do you know anything about this guy? I've, I've like, I think you mentioned his, he's got a Sabaton song named after him. Yes. I think he's some, some a sniper from Finland. He definitely sounds Finnish. Yes, he is a yes, he is a Finnish sniper, um, and he is one of my favourite figures from history. It's it, it's one of the like it basically epitomises that the story of that of a war of a war hero. Um, just from pure numbers. <laughs> um, like, how many people did he kill? Sort of, well, we'll get we'll get to that. It, we'll get to that. It's going to be quite fun. But yeah, he was a um, Finnish sniper who fought during the 1939 to 40 winter war between Finland and the Soviet Union. Jeez, that must have been cold. Oh yeah, and uh, we'll go into his his backstory a bit, just so we can get a bit of a, a, bit of a view into him. Mm-hmm. He was born on the 17th of December 1905 in a place called Rautjärvi in the Grand Duchy of Finland. Wouldn't it be Rautjärvi? I have no idea. Yeah, we wouldn't have no idea. This is Finland. It's a very difficult place to yes. pronounce anything but that, ever. But that sounds right. So Rautjärvi. Okay, you're probably right. Thank you. Um, because that sounds right to me. And um, Yeah. And basically, um, after the Soviet Union formed uh, and, Finland, and Finland had already gained its independence, um, the town he lived in was very close to the Russian border. And um, it was the second youngest of a family of farmers that had eight children, which pretty good going, I guess. Um, and before entering military service in 1925, he was um, a farmer and hunter. His childhood was, like had plenty of hard work days and on the farm, with and along with the Finnish wilderness and hunting and stuff. Made him very tough, very patient. I can imagine. I, I do not want to be walking out in cold for any longer than I want to. Oh no! Like, and Finnish winters are real bad. Yeah, I was um, talking to someone from Rockstar the other day who did their year abroad in Sweden, and they talked. They talked to someone from Finland, and they said that you can't go out for twenty minutes after you've had a hair a shower. Your hair will freeze. That sounds. That's um. That is wow. the most metal thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> and along that, yeah, very dark nights in the winter, and actually most most of the year, I think they're quite dark nights. Yeah, it's like this time of year particularly, you'd be lucky to get one or two hours of daylight. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty heavy. And um, as I was saying, in 1925, he had some military service, uh, serving a mandatory one-year service in Finland's army. Um, oh, that old, that old thing. Yeah. One year's not a long time, but um, in that time, he managed to get himself up to um, corporal rank, which is pretty good. And uh, a bit more about him. 
uh, his interests. Uh, he was basically shooting was always an interest for Heya, and any spare time he had was spent outdoors shooting at whatever targets he could find, basically. And his first rifle was a Russian-built Mosnagin uh, bolt action M91. And the Mosnagin is quite famous from all sorts of video games. Like, I, 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 I haven't played Cold Nerd, so I really can't remember one rifle. Yeah, from uh, honestly, it's, for me, it's from Metal Gear Solid because oh. uh, that was my, that was my jam. <laughs> my jam, my jam was mainly Raspberry, to be honest with you. Pretty good jam. Thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, he was late, and later he picked up the M28 or 30 um, rifle with the 90 millimeter Swami submachine gun, and he was successful in shooting sports, in competitions and stuff in the uh, Vipuri province. And his home was apparently full of trophies for marksmanship and stuff. A bit later than that, he joined the Civil. Uh, uh, he Finnish Civil Guard. Yes, yes, he joined the Finnish Civil Guard, and uh, which was known as the White Guard, which is a, mi- a military organization, and it's comparable to the National Guard in the US. Like, what would you compare it to over here? The um, Marines, SAS, perhaps? Um, no idea. Pro- yeah, probably Marines or something, I guess. Yeah, I'm not that versed on it either. I am. Just... Go- I'm just going with it. But yeah, and um, during his time with the Civil Guard. He had a lot of training, including target shooting. And thanks to both his training and his natural shooting hobby. Um, right. Guess how many times he was able to hit a target uh, per minute? At about 500 feet away as well. Honestly, I have no idea. 16 times per minute at 500 feet. Shut the front door. I know, right? It's crazy. Like, I mean. So he was already an amazing sniper. Like, I, I would have been going higher pitch, but my voice is just dead after a fantastic bar crawl the other evening. Oh, man. The bar crawls always great. They are. Can't go wrong with them. And, not for your vocal cords, they're not. Yeah, it's like, it's like the next worst thing after actual gigs. Definitely. I'm going to win in a couple of weeks, uh, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Oh, you're in for a treat. I know, I it's absolutely love... so good. Yeah, I absolutely love Frank Carter. I used to listen to him when he was in Gallows. Ah, those are the days, eh? I know, right? But yeah, as I was saying, um, basically... Talking about this is yes. his snipery skills yes. and that. And a bit after this, uh, the winter war between Finland and the Soviet Union started. Here we go. And, um, this is where it hots up. Oh, yeah. Heyer was a basically served as a sniper for the army against the against Soviets. Uh, and he was in the 6th company of JR-34 during the Battle of Kola. Um, I've no idea how that's pronounced, but I don't it, know. It looks, it looks like Kola or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, if there's one thing I've, if there's one thing we've learned during these podcast episodes, is that I will mispronounce things, and I'm just going to roll with it. Sounds good. <laughs> um, but if you know something's definitely wrong, just jump in. Either way, I think you, I think you already corrected me once correctly. So, um... oh, just. No, but it's yeah, just it's fine. Force of habit, but I'm going to stay man a little bit more now. Oh, it's fine. Don't, don't worry. If the it... deeper into it than you get, I. Yeah. I have this and this idea of how the hell it's pronounced. <laughs> That's fine. And, uh, right, what was I? Okay, yeah, and that was, um, basically the Battle of Collar was fought between December 7, 1939 and March 13, 1940. And basically it was fought at temperatures between minus 40 and minus 20 degrees Celsius. Jesus, that is cold. Yeah, um, right. just in the snow and... Um, it's strange to think that everywhere in the UK goes to a standstill about minus 5. Yeah. I mean, I'm proven to stand still at about five degrees, so, like... <laughs> no fun at all. Oh, no. But yes, and uh, so basically all the Finns were out there dressed completely in white camo and stuff. So very good and stuff. And basically, this battle led to, the, led to a famous quote and eventually an eventual Finnish saying after Major General Hagland asked, Will Collar hold? To which Lieutenant Arne Jutilainen, Jutilainen, I'm gonna, yeah. Who knows what that is? Yeah, due to Lehman, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna go for that. Um, basically replied, "Collar will hold unless the orders are to run away." That is some steely resolve right there. Oh yes, and basically with with one division and some small units, the Finns, commanded by Major General Ulo Twompo, faced both 9th and 14th Soviet armies, which were made up of four divisions and one tank division. Um. So they were heavily outnumbered. I sense a Savageon song coming up right from here. Oh, yeah. The Finns fought back with an almost unreal resolve. And on top of that, because of Stalin's purges, purges of military experts in the 30s, um, the Red Army was pretty disorganised. 
and Soviet and the, and the troops weren't issued with white camouflage suits for most of the war, so they were easily visible to snipers in the winter conditions, and they, they just weren't prepared for a Finnish winter, which is surprising since they're from yeah. Russia. But yeah, so they they were, they weren't prepared for a Finnish winter, and they and they're only really equipped to follow roads, which were, and all the roads were well defended uh, by Finnish troops, um, and they, they just couldn't move across country without without the skis for it. Though, despite this, it's said that Kola was one of the hardest places to defend during the war, just due to sheer numbers, the number difference, with the Soviet army supposedly firing 40,000 artillery rounds per day at the defence, while the Finnish could only return about 1,000 per day. Wow. That's, like, just a big window into just how outnumbered they were. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. But the Finns were also pretty smart with their tactics and stuff. And uh, notably, they were they were known for motty tactics, which basically, since which worked because basically the Soviets would have to invade by roads, and the Finns would hide out in the surrounding wilderness and let them cross the border, and then they just attack them from behind. So the uh, idea of the motty is to come behind and get them in the body. Yeah, basically. Boom. <laughs> um, and then they, yeah. So um, throughout this, both sides have suffered heavy losses. And this battle lasted for the rest of the war entirely. Um, wow. The Soviets actually managed to break the line a few times, but Finnish counterattacks repaired this defence. And towards the end of the war, on March 12, um, the Soviets actually managed a half kilometre to one and a half kilometre breach in the line. Um, so pretty deep. It, and it almost led to the commander of the Finnish army abandoning the main defence line. But, new, but the news from the front base basically said that the situation wasn't alarming yet. So they, so he sent forth a attack, counterattack order, but though soon after, uh, news of the peace treaty reached the front. So these orders ended up being cancelled, and troops were, and the troops ended up holding their position until the end of hostilities. So like it, they just broke through, and then like let's keep it, let's keep it sort of broken until like the ceasefire is properly announced. Yeah, but basically, um, because the Finns were going to attack them back and try and take the ground back, but um, and then, then then they got then they realised that the peace treaty had gone through. So they couldn't really, so they couldn't counterattack really. They had to just kind of hold the ground and wait and wait for the Russians to realise that it's a peace treaty as well, which they probably took quite a long time to do, knowing them. Probably, uh, I'm not so sure. I, I don't know the details about that. But Neither do I. It's yeah. fairly sketchy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we can guess, especially with how they were. And um, yeah. Anyway, back to the star of this episode, uh, Simo Heia. During the battle, he'd become a legendary hero to the Finns. Uh, with his rifle, he'd go out in his camo on, with only a day's supplies and ammo, and he'd basically tightly tightly pack some snow in front of him and hide out before starting to pick off Russians left and right. He had a very he had a quite a notable sniping style. And what was that? Because um, I really want to hear, but like, oh yeah, um, my inner Call of Duty legend sort of nerds coming out again. Oh yes. So yeah, basically, he, um, with the snow he packed in front of him, it would uh, provide his rifle padding and reduce the snow blast effect from firing. Uh, as well as hide him a bit. So basically, um, so he packed it down on the side to sort of muffle the sound yeah. of the gun. So, yeah, basically he like, made a little wall thing, put his rifle on it. So like he, he couldn't really move it that much because of the Not really, no. dense packing of the snow. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think it implies that it was on top of the snow rather than in it. Though. Ah. And he'd, and he'd snipe sitting up. Uh, rather than lying down, just because he thought it was better for him. Yeah, I mean, it probably kept his, um, I mean, kept his bits and pieces nice and warm. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be fair, it seemed to work, and yeah, he wouldn't use a scope, and because he preferred iron sights, and he, he didn't really have any scope training beforehand, uh, in combat at least, and he wasn't about to risk using captured Soviet guns without experience to use them. On top of this, his logic was, scopes would glare in the sunlight, maybe revealing his location, and the scope would also fog up in the cold, and on top of that, um, if he had a scope, he'd have to lift his hand up a few centimetres more to use it. Which seems trivial, but in a sniper battle, a few centimetres is everything. Yeah, de- definitely in Finland as well, where he's got to be white and nothing else. Yeah. It's um, crazy. Well, the cold will probably crack the glass in the scope as well. <laughs> Maybe. And he was also known for um, putting snow in his mouth to hide his breath from giving his position, which I believe is where the is the inspiration for the scene in Enemy at the Gates, which is a great film. I'm afraid um, I haven't seen it to my great yeah, shame. It's a World War II film um, in Stalingrad, and, and it follows a sniper. 
I've seen my eagles there, but yeah. this is what I really want to watch. Yeah, basically, it's a uh, it's a film built on uh, sniper vs sniper battles. Ah, oh, classic. So it's very intense, very good. So, um, but from that, he still seems like a pretty normal sniper dude, right? Yeah, pretty like, normal. Like nothing too special. Um, but this is what makes him special. Um, he he was in service for about hundred days. In that time, he earned over five hundred kills. Wow, that is a pretty impressive KD ratio. That's yeah, that's um, over five a day. And um, basically, this is what made him become known to the Red Army as the White Death. Jeez, I mean, like because... the Black Death's pretty scary, <laughs> but I would not want to be sort of I would not be want, want to be one of the sort of the senior commanders in the Red Army. You're seeing your troops in wherever it was. Like I forgot, forgot the name of the battle now. It's um oh, it was the uh, Battle of Collar. Collar. I would yeah. not be. I would, I would not want to be the collar commander and just looking, just oh shit, my numbers are dropping, etc. <laughs> but yeah, they, they were. We didn't say they, they were pretty. Some they were pretty fucking terrified because they'd just be out in hot pot. And uh, yeah, he. Um, yeah, the White Death is also a name for the Sapton song, which uh, I was listening to. Very very good song that. Very very good, and uh, that song is literally all about this guy. I can imagine, like, just sort of the White Death at a tank in. He's mm-hmm. 100% Sabaton recipe there. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, the, the military chaplain, Anti Rantema, was uh, uh, reported Simo had um, 259 confirmed sniper kills and an equal number by submachine gun. Wow. Um, if you, but some sources go over 800 kills. Maybe, maybe a bit exaggerated, but with this guy, I could believe it. Wow. Like, it's... And, um, yeah, I remember, finished winter, very low daylight hours, so he wouldn't have much time to snipe properly. He was just like, easily. Yeah. Oh, man, what a tune. And I didn't get a chance to confirm this with the sources, but, um, yeah, it's the bit that I do know is that at one point there was a battle in this in the same area um, where 32 men successfully held ground against 4,000 Russians at a place called Killer Hill, and apparently he was he was one of the members. But like I said, I don't, I can't really, I haven't really confirmed that. But yeah, I've read it. <laughs> we read it. Good. Yeah. But like obviously, his, surely his tasks are impossible to check because like you yeah. know the Russians aren't too keen on giving too much information. Or yeah. Are they? Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty impossible to check, uh, like you said, and um, it's like it's on the other side of the line. And he wasn't about to ask nicely to check. And during that war, and after. Uh, the White Death became one of the leading themes of Finnish propaganda. Uh, it, with Finnish newspapers uh, often featuring the invisible Finnish soldier, creating a heroic myth, and um, and that myth carries through today, as seen by stuff like Sabaton and uh, and most other power metal bands with a military edge, of whom Sabaton is clearly the leader. Yeah, um, most like most a lot of sniper themed stuff draws on this guy, just because he was insane. That, like. Um, but yes, yeah, the Soviets, like I said, the Soviets were terrified of the guy, and they used multiple counter-sniper attacks and um, artillery barrages, which, for the most part, just failed, like, straight up, because massive, like, he was well camouflaged, it was ma- and it was one dude. One dude, wow. And, because um, he'd be out by himself all day. <laughs> and um, failed for the most part until March 6th, where he was hit in the jaw by an explosive sniper round. But he survived. And he, he he fell into an eleven day coma and woke up the day that the war ended. How convenient! Yeah. Um, and in the Battle of Collar, the Finnish ended up losing about fifteen hundred men to about eight thousand Soviets. Wow, that's um, is that sort of a comparison of how many died or sort of eight thousand it um, took to kill? Just casualties in general. That's um, the Russians did not do well. No, they really. Didn't. Um, yeah, it's uh, pretty intense, and because of the Winter War. Basically, it's why I normally stick to don't fuck the Finns. Yeah, like, I mean, I've heard about don't invade Russia, but don't fuck, don't invade Finland either. Yeah, you're not gonna do, you're not gonna get far. No, not at all. And yeah, basically, for the general winter war, despite gaining about twenty-two thousand square miles of Finnish grounds overall, the Soviets lost the war. For numbers-wise, in the general war, it was about two hundred fifty to three hundred forty thousand Finns with thirty-two tanks. Uh, and 114 aircraft units against three times as many Soviet troops, 30 times as many aircraft, and 100 times as many tanks. Wow. Do you want to hear the casualties? Go on. Okay. On the side of the Finns, 
I'm I'm gonna go through the numbers because this, because this is crazy lot. to me. Okay, so okay, I'm gonna each time I'm gonna do the Finns first, and then then the Soviets. Okay, so for dead or missing, the Finns had about twenty six thousand dead or missing, uh, while the Russians had between one hundred twenty six thousand and one hundred sixty eight thousand dead <whistles> or missing. Not very precise, yeah. is it? No, I mean it was a lot of dudes. And you can't really find them when they're all deep in the snow. No, and um, yeah, the, the Finns had four, about forty-three and a half thousand wounded, to the Russians one hundred eighty-eight and a half thousand. The Russians also killed uh, nine hundred fifty-seven civilians in air raids. This now that, that's my favorite stats. So the Finns lost twenty to thirty tanks. The Russians lost between twelve hundred and thirty-five hundred tanks. Jesus, <laughs> and like. I love that the Finns lost 62 aircraft units to the Russians 261 to 515 aircraft units. They must have been terrible at maths, they really must have. Like, oh man, 70,000 total casualties to uh, between 321,000 and 363,000 casualties. Jesus. Don't fuck with the Finns. Really do not fuck with the Finns. That is the main message I want to get to you. A Russian general later said that the ground they gained was just enough to bury their dead. It's 22,000 square miles for that amount of people. Like, how, how many people... How, how wide are their graves? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it was, like... It it was insane, but... That is insane. That yeah. is just... If there's one thing you take away from it, just listen... Just take that. And, um, yeah, just to wrap up, a bit, bit of his later life. After the war, he received several awards and was promoted from corporal to second lieutenant. Uh, a jump that large in ranks had never been seen in Finnish history before. Has it ever been seen in any other sort of military history? I have no idea. Um, I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing very like one or two more other times, not much, nothing like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. Um, like I said, I don't know too much about military ranks that much. Neither do I. Um, I, and... probably, I probably should, as I do have sort of family lineage in in the service, but mm. that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I probably should since I've been re- researching this. Possibly, but, like... yeah. But corporal descent intent is a pretty huge jump. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it took sev- it took a lot of many years for Haya to recover from his wound, but um, because the bullet had basically crushed his jaw and blown off and blown off his left cheek. But um, despite some disfigurement, he made a full recovery and became a successful moose hunter and dog breeder after World War Two. And he even hunted with the, with the Finnish president Urho Kekkonen. I think that sounds right. Yep, I mean, I tried my best. I um, did pretty well. Yeah, thank you. And um, in 1998, someone asked him how he became such a good shooter, to which he replied, practice. <laughs> well, got to keep it short and simple. Yep. And when asked if he regretted killing so many people, he just said, I only did my duty and what I was told to do as well as I could. So Proper slave of duty there. I yeah. mean, obviously back in the old days, morality was something else. Yeah. yeah duty was the main, main old thing. Mm. Guy was a badass. What an absolute badass. Oh, yeah. He spent his last years in a place called um, Ruokalasi in southeastern Finland, near the Russian border, and died in a war veteran's nursing home in 2002 at the ripe age of 96. It's a fairly ripe old age. Like, he got shot in the face and lived to 96. That's impressive. Like, that's crazy. I mean, I've seen a ton of war veterans who died, obviously, like, only fairly recently, and then there's just him... What a legend. Yeah. Uh, what a legend. Well, yeah, I think I can wrap my story up there. Um, do you have anything else to say about this? No, this, I'm just blown away. I'm just really impressed. I'm so I've got nothing to say at all. Yeah, it's one of my, one of my favourite figures from, from history. Yeah, he's proper proper badass. Yeah, and, um, right, anyway, we'll, yeah, anyway, we'll um, cut the music here, and then we'll come back, to, and we'll come back with you, uh, and, um, right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
and we're back. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pass it over to Cosmo as he puts his bottle of wine down. Yep. This is gonna explain a sort of slightly similar story now. Similar part of the world. This is actually in Sweden, and it's not nearly so like sort of heroic and that. It's a lot funnier, if anything. There's this place in Sweden called Gavla, Yevla, something like that, and it. Every year since 1966, they've erected a massive straw goat. I love this story. In the middle of the village city square. Because they have some traditional thing called a Swedish Yule goat. Or Yulbokken or something like that. Mm. I, I don't know much Swedish. At the beginning of Advent, over two days. And every year, vandals try to burn it down. It's almost kind of a tr- Christmas tradition. So it was, it was, I think, the first one was built in 1966. And it was burnt down, and the and a local businessman who'd paid for it got all his money back on insurance. But it, I don't think it was a sort of a ploy, because it was burnt down, I think, in 1969, 1970, six hours after it was built, put up, blamed on two drunk teenagers. It was smashed to bits in 1971. It, was colla- it collapsed in 1972. It was stolen in 73, burned again in 1974, hit by a car in 1976, kicked to pieces in 1978... And in 1979, it was burned before it was even put up. I mean, it's just crazy. People have all... Imagine, just... like, imagine making something and it, be, and it getting fucked up so many times that it just becomes a meme. It's, <laughs> that is essentially what this gavel of goat has become. I mean, it just... Um, back in 71, the southern merchants, I think that's what they're called, who assembled the first one, got so tired of their goats being burned down and stopped doing them, so... The Natural Science Club from the School of Vassa took over and built a miniature goat in its place. And so it was a miniature goat, I think, from 1972 onwards. So it was obviously much easier to steal or collapse or hit by a car or kick to pieces. <laughs> a set, so going on to 1979, a second goat was put up and that was then destroyed and broken to pieces. 1980, it was burned again on Christmas Eve. It survived miraculously in 1981, and also, I think, in both 1967 and 68. They had a fence in 1968, which is very helpful. 1982, obviously fire again. 1983, rather oddly, its legs were destroyed, so it just looked like a, sort of a sad little goat on its... Just, <laughs> oh, like, no. It's like that no idea joke, but no idea. Like, it's a sti- still no goat. Yeah. Burned again in 84. 85... It was burned, despite being enclosed by a two-metre-high metal fence and being guarded by members of Securitas and soldiers from the Swedish army. And it was, <laughs> despite being bur- burnt down, the 12-foot-high, go- sort of the bigger of the two, two goats was built, I mean, by the, um, I think, the Natural Science Club of the School of Vassa, was featured in the Guinness Book of Records for the first time at 41 feet or 12.5 metres high, whatever you want to call it. 986, the... There's a, this is when this southern merchant started building it again, and it was burned again on the day before Christmas Eve. And then, so there's now been two goats, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think the second one got burned down about three days later or something like that. 87, a heavily fireproof goat was built. Guess what? Got burned down. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just oh man it's, it's a, too good a, it's too good they didn't fireproof it the next year because just, apparently I think one of the um, not so much it wasn't fireproof enough because when it was soaked in the um, anti sort of flame retardant liquid it apparently looked really ugly like a sort of a brown terry or something like that just like <laughs> but 988 it survived but the oddest thing was that English bookmakers decided to allow people to gamble on the fate of the goats I mean Yes. <laughs> I mean, forget forget booking about sort of who's going to win arms celebrity. Will the goat survive? And if so, if he is going to die, when is he going to be burned? <laughs> it's too 1989, he was burned before he was even put up again. And so financial contributions were raised from the public. In these days, we call it crowdfunding. And it was... And the second one was burned in January, in March 1990. There was a third one built for the shooting of a Swedish film called Blackjack. And I think... It, possibly going to get destroyed in that. I, I, actually, I haven't <laughs> seen the film, but I imagine it's become so much ingrained into the mm. Swedish culture, it's going to get burned. I can only imagine. 1990, it was guarded by a ring of volunteers, and it survived. 1991, burned on Christmas Eve, and joined by... It was then taken to Stockholm and burned down again. Yeah. 92, it was burned down after eight days, and both the Natural Science Club and the Southern Merchants Goats were burned on the same night. 
the southern merchants go, we built, burned down on 20th December, and the Pelvian van was caught and put in de- jail for, I think, I don't know how long. And the, for strange, some strange reason, because they care so much about this one goat, they don't want it to, ha- be, to be burned out every single year. They set up a committee, a goat committee. I mean, that's just milking it, I think, a bit. 1993-94, it survived. It was guarded by, I think, the... Uh, 903 was guarded by taxis and the Swedish Home Guard, and then got the Guinness Book of Records again. And 94 followed the Swedish national hockey team to Italy for the World Cup Championship in hockey. I think they wouldn't have burned it down there because, well, it's not nearly so much fun. 995, the Euro was born, best year in the world. It was burned down on Christmas Day by a Norwegian, and it was rebuilt for the 550th anniversary of Gävleborg County. I think I pronounced that right. 96, monitored by webcams, survived. 997, it was damaged. It was both, both of the goats were hit with fireworks and they both survived with a little bit of damage here oh, and man. there. 998, was burned down again during a major blizzard somehow and was rebuilt. 1999, was burned down within hours of being put up. <laughs> that was the heartbreaking. <laughs> Just, why? Why are you doing this to me, you cruel goat-burning gods? Can you imagine that being your job and just being like, no, not again? I just can imagine there's like a lot of Satanists who think burning all these goats is the best thing in the world. Maybe, but honestly, I think there's not normal people that think it is at this point. Like... <laughs> it was very true. And so the Southern Merchant was put again before Lucia, which Lucia, I think some event in the Swedish Christian calendar, it certainly is a, isn't a thing over here in England. And so, so both goats were burnt down, but the Southern Merchants Goat was rebuilt again. 2000, late December, the, the Southern Merchants Goat was burned down, and the Natural Science Club's goat, being smaller, was thrown into the, into the river. <laughs> I mean, Amazing. Fire and water, if ever there was a case of it. December 2001, it was burned down by Lawrence Jones, a 51-year-old visitor from Cleveland, Ohio. He was, who claimed he... When he was in court testifying, he said he was no no goat burner, but believed he was taking part in a completely legal goat burning tradition. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we we actually have listeners from Ohio as well, so that's gonna be fun. <laughs> that's some shout out to you guys. Look, you people in Ohio are lovely. I'm sure you don't burn goats. You're lovely. So, 2002, it was guarded by some Swedish radio and TV personality, Gert Filking. I think that's right. And it survived. And a 22-year-old from Stockholm tried to set the southern merchant's goat on fire and failed. The goat only seemed a little minor bit of damage, like sort of, it is but a scratch. It's just a, it's just a straw wound. 2000, 2000, both 2003 and 2004, they were burnt down. 2005, this, this is one of the funniest ones, because it was burnt by vandals who dressed as Santa and the gingerbread man. <laughs> oh, and no. they shot a flaming arrow at the goat. On December the third, it was built up. It was built again two days later, and then they were then all three. The vandals were then featured on the, the Swedish show Efterlist, or Most Wanted, sort of like Crime Watch over here, or some sort of crime show in another country. I love Scandinavia so much. It's it's such a crazy part of the world. I mean, you got Norway, you got Finland, and then Sweden, where you just have goat burning. Mm. 2006, it was bur- it was burned. The um, I think the small one was burned down, and the Southern Merchants one was survived New Year's Eve, dismantled second of January, and is now stored in a secret, undisclosed location guarded by top men. <laughs> 2007, it burned down on Christmas Eve. That was the big one, and the Natural Science Club goat was toppled on the 13th and torched on the 24th of December, while the Southern Merchants goat remained untouched. 2008, oh, this is a lengthy one. Here we go. Here we 10, go. 10,000 people turned out for the inauguration of one of the goats. No backup was built to replace the main goat should the worst happen. Nor was the goat treated with a flame repellent, as I said earlier. One of the spokespeople from the goat committee said that the repellent made it look like a brown terrier. And the Natural Science Club's goat on 16th of December was vandalised and later removed. 26th of December, three there attempts, there was an attempt to burn down the, go- the goat, but passed by a match with extinguished of fire. And it was then, the following day, it was a, succumbed to the flames by an unknown assailant at 0350 CET, which is Central European time, for those of you who don't know what CET is. Oh, man. That's... 2009, here we go again. Oh, man. <laughs> 7th of December, someone tried to set the Southern Merchant's Goat on fire. And 11th of December, 
someone tried to throw the natural science club sculpted into the water in the river again. They tried, they failed, and then tried to set it on fire. 14th December, they stole the natural science club's goat <laughs> in a truck. And then 23rd December, the southern merchant's goat was set on fire and burned to the frame, even though it had a thick layer of snow on its back. <laughs> <laughs> this was despite it being guarded by two online webcams, and someone had put, done a DOS attack, like a, they'd hacked the webcams, and just before it was burned, so it was offline long enough just long enough for the goat to be set ablaze. That's, that's a hell of a commitment. <laughs> Very much so. So 2010, it survived. And so two, 2nd of December, Arsis tried to burn the science club goat and failed. And 17th of December, a Swedish news site had reported that one of the guards who was tasked with protecting the southern merchant's goat had been bribed to leave his post so the goat could be nicked via helicopter and taken to Stockholm. They were then, but despite all that, both of them survived and dismantled and stored in early January 11. 2011, this is this is one of the best ones. They were sprayed with water to create a coating of ice. <laughs> Go on. It was a fairly mild winter. The ice melted and the goats were burned down. <laughs> 2012, burned down. 2013, it was soaked in flame retardant to prevent an arson attack. Oh, man. I'm going to cry. I think, <laughs> it's just, they, and guess what happened? They got burned down. <laughs> Last, um, 2014... They, um, three arson attempts were made, but they survived somehow. 2015, getting pretty close now. Just a, two, a day after Boxing Day, it was burned down again by a 26 year old man who'd fled the scene with a singed face, a smell of gasoline, and a lighter in his hand when he was arrested. And he admitted to committing the offence, and he was drunk at the time that, in retrospect, it was an extremely bad idea. Oh, I mean. That's a pretty well-crafted alibi for goat burning. And then 2016, last year, almost exactly a year ago today, it was inaugurated on its 50th birthday party, November 27th, 2016. I mean, obviously, it's going to be aired a little bit later than that, but it was destroyed by an arsonist equipped with petrol on its, on its inauguration day, just hours after the, the sort of the ceremony had been done. And, they, and the organisers said they would not rebuild the goat that year just because of the humiliation... <laughs> It was replaced by a smaller replica by local high school students, not, I don't think, the Natural Science Club. Yeah. This was hit by a car. <laughs> it's, just been, <laughs> it's just like... A, heartbreaking. One of the most heartbreaking traditions of sort of just Sweden's oh, history. Oh, was that all of them? I want to run again. Just, <laughs> I think my favourite one has got to be the burnt forwards even put up all the... Uh, Coating of ice fun. Just the goat was burned down. Uh. My favourite is the Santas. Yeah, this just the gingerbread man just twanging an arrow and just letting it go. I mean, we even put it on crime watch for God's sake. It is beautiful. My like my one of my also one of my favourite things that on this Wikipedia on the Wikipedia page, there's a table whether it's been burnt or not per each year. And, and it's all... colour coded red and green, and that makes me very happy. Yeah, it's just sort of it just green obviously survived, red put to the torch, and like it's just it works so well. And there's so much more red than there is green. It's it's, it's beautiful. It's it's almost like looking at a sort of graph of sort of Labour and Green Party seats. Yeah, but that but politics aside, I am fairly willing, or almost willing to place bets on to, as to when the next Yevla goat is going to be burned. I kind of want to honestly. Yeah, I actually want to sort of put a bet down if it's going to be burned by my mother's. 51st birthday, i.e. December the 17th, 2017. Yeah. So I don't condone arson, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on this. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't condone arson as well. I mean, I I'm not much of a... I'm, I'm no Keith Flynn. I'm I mean, a twisted fire starter, but this goat thing is just... <laughs> at this the point, they're making a challenge, that, right? Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> challenge accepted. Let's burn the goat. I mean, obviously, it's just... I'm not sure if we have any sort of crazy traditions like that over here in the UK, but... It's just, I think, a uniquely Swedish thing. Just it's fantastic. getting a goat and burning it. Oh, man. Like, <sighs> so many times. So, so many times. It's beautiful. So, how many times in total was that, you know? The, I think in the 51 years they've had the goat, it's been burned 37 times. Amazing. That is almost an impressive of alive or dead ratio was... <laughs> Sima. Sima. It's yes. just imp incredible, just... What happened? Like, it's almost like the, the goat represents 
the Red Army in the Winter War. Yeah. And the Vandals is Simo in every single one of the shots he took. It's just... It's amazing. Boom, boom, boom. Just killing it. I mean, not... Just burning the goat alive. It's such a like bizarre the story. Of the Red Army. It's just so wonderfully bizarre and just so... I think Scandinavian would be the word to describe because it, it, it wouldn't be sort of funny anywhere else. No, it's, it's amazing. I, I don't know. I like... I have no words, really. <laughs> no words other than... I mean, like... I'm surprised, like... I don't know, a band like Slayer, who obviously have the whole Satanist tag wrongly attached to them, but, like, obviously, if you've seen the cover of Raining Blood, there's a lot of goats on there. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't picked up on that and thought, I don't know, let's make a song about the Yevla goat. <laughs> oh, man. I've waited. I it's think probably... A great story. Yeah, it just... <laughs> like it's it's one of it like I actually I'd actually completely forgotten that until you brought it up and it, it's it's great. just so good I love it so much oh man almost as much as I love this wine I'm drinking yeah I think it was I think originally what was one of my I think originally it was one of my teachers that told me about it <laughs> not gonna lie to you I I only found out about this about two or so weeks ago yeah I was watching a lot of mock the week sort of clips and one of them was about the Evil Goat I think posted in the run up to Christmas and mm. was just. Dara Brin explaining it. 1976, hit by a car. 1970, or 20, 2011, the goat was covered in a, with a protective coating of ice to protect it against any arson. The goat was burned down. <laughs> Just sort of. It's very hot fuzz. Very, very hot fuzz, and sort of. I did it with that Irish dry wit. Like, yeah. It's. I think. if It's just become sort of a thing ingrained in tradition, rather like. I don't know. I think saying. Like asking, like, like a cup of tea is in Britain. Do you want a cup of? I, just imagine, I can't imagine like a Swede, a Swede asking a, a British tourist in Yevla at the time of a to- the torching of the goat. Do you want a um, nice cup of um, like PG tips while you watch our monument to Advent burn? <laughs> Amazing. I think there's um another story I've got here. Do we have time for any more? Um. If you want, you can throw it out in the night. And yeah, there's I um, I think there's a similar is. story about the uh, the baby Jesus theft. I've actually never heard about this, but um, this is this is I think much more in America. Yes. And they they have like obviously America being a fairly Christian nation, they have lots of nativity baby Jesus figurines, mm-hmm. and there's so many thefts of the baby Jesus taken from the cradle. He's away from his manger, you could say. <laughs> Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Kitten, Kittanning, Pennsylvania. Stony Point, wherever that is. Uh, in Sweden again. In Jönköping and Vietern. Um Eureka Springs, Arkansas. One of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. December 2008. And unsurprisingly, Marilyn Manson has said in his autobiography, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell, he admits he admitted doing a thing where he stole figurines of Jesus and replaced them with hams. <laughs> they Amazing. then sent it, a communicator to a newspaper posing as a black radical group saying it was a protest against the plasticization of the black man's wisdom with the so-called white Christmas. It's almost like, oh, Marilyn, you yeah, and yes. your mad adventures. Oh, man. Do you have time All for right. another song? I'm feeling like it's time for another song, don't you? Um. Yeah, I think we can cut the music, yeah. Yeah, let's cut to the music. Chop, chop. Cool. Um, back again. Yeah, back again, and uh, we'll wrap up real quick anyway. Um, yeah, wrapping it up. Yeah. So before we before we do that, would you like to plug anything? Say what's going on in your life. Uh, well. So I'm not sure if you're going to be airing this before December the 5th, but, uh, and this is very much unrelated to all the Swedish and Finnish manners we've had this episode. Anything goes, don't worry. Like, and fairly sort of much more grounded and down to earth. Coming up on December the 5th is the Rock Sock Alternative Ball, where it's going to be like every winter ball at every university, but with rock music, therefore it's much better. And December the 7th, I am going to be in a production of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado in concert. Being a gentleman of Japan, well, not really Japan, probably more like an enclave of people in somewhere like Shoreditch who fancy themselves as Japanese. <laughs> Sounds good. 
And it's, it's one of my favourite sort of Gilbert Solomon shows I've ever done. It's all very, very over-the-top humour, sort of. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard the song, As Someday It May Happen That A Victim Must Be Found, I've Got A Little List, I've Got A Little List. If you hear it online, they, do, they always, every so often, they change the um, what's on the list to suit current affairs. So expect okay. to hear a lot of stuff about Trump and politics and just studenty stuff in general. There's a very funny version which did, I think, one back in a year or so ago about... Jeremy Clarkson, Nicholas Sturgeon, the VW emissions tests, you name it, it was on there. <laughs> and so I'm going to be in that on the 7th. And then coming up further than that, obviously, I've got, there's quite a few events coming up next academic year at Birmingham, where we where actually and I are, as you probably know. I've mm-hmm. got um, a, I'm going to be another GNS show called Iolanthe, all about fairies invading the House of Lords in Westminster. Yep, it's as crazy as that. And nice. then Hard Rock Hell in the in the Oto Academy in Birmingham, headed by Evil Scarecrow and Ailsom on the Saturday. It's going to be insane. I think I might be going to that, but I'm not sure. I'm definitely going. I mean, like most of UOB Metal Soccer going, and I'm fairly sure a few people in UOB Rock Soccer wanting to go as well. Yeah, I, like, I'm, I think I'm going. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I got tickets. Like we probably did. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean, but I'll looking fi- back, I, yeah. it's still a bit fuzzy. I'll find out. We'll find out <laughs> near the time. I'm sure. I mean, there'll be an, a few inevitable dropouts. Oh yeah, but yeah. That's probably all. Me, that's all me wrapped up. What about you, actually? Okay, brilliant. Um, okay, I'll just wrap up real quick. Um, honestly, I did this right off. I've done this episode right off the back of finishing our last episode uh, about which uh, black metal special. And who did you do that with? It was. Um... Yeah, that was a solo mission. Fortunately, I couldn't get. Ah. I couldn't get a guest in time. But um, yeah, either way, um, I had a quite. I had a quite a lot of fun with that. Um, I can imagine. Who doesn't have a bit of black metal? Yeah, unfortunately, not quite as upbeat as, as this one. Without guessing, yes, no, um, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not sure if Abbott's ever done anything about the goat either, but he, he may well have done at some point, and we yeah. just could not understand what he's like, saying. I'm very, ba- like, I'm, ba- I'm very, um, like, when you by yourself, it's very hard to bounce off people. <laughs> like, it's, it's hard to bounce off myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but, um, it's you, fine. I'm getting used to it. Like, yeah, it's, um, it takes some practice, I think. D- um, definitely takes some practice. Yeah. I mean. So does life. Life takes practice. And even then, you're never really sh- quite sure of the knack as to how to do it. Life needs things to live. Exactly. <laughs> I mean... Um, for, that, anyone, for anyone that watches Critical Role, that, that is... It sounds like sort of something you'd hear in a self-help DVD saying, the most important thing about this self-help DVD is that only you can help you. No need for me then. Thanks for the 20 quid. That, that, <laughs> that is a self-help DVD that would never sell. Oh, man. And yes, I did nick that from Hugh Dennis, in case you were wondering. I have no idea what that is. Right, it was, it was a mock the week thing. It was oh, fair enough. He said for extracts for DVDs that would never sell. Yeah. And that probably wouldn't, to be honest. All right. And, okay, so... Uh, Enough wooding from me. Yeah. And on top of that, um, I normally do a few shout-outs at the end. So um, my shout-outs this week. Nox Arcana for giving us our intermission music. The University of Birmingham Metal, Metal Society, which is which I'm sure plenty of you are listening in to this time. Definitely. And a few podcasts I've been listening to at the moment. Um, Dark Divide Pod, Good Nightmares, and Cinephile slash Cenobites. Um, all very good podcasts. I'd very I'd recommend all of them. Mm, sounds good. I mean, I would have a few shout-outs as well. I'd like to give a shout-out to the good people of the Ruby Rock Sock who provided a very good bar call for me last night in Nottingham. Brilliant. Oh, Nottingham bar call is always fun. Yep. Gutted you couldn't make this make it this year, man. But oh, who yeah. else want a shout-out to... I think all the ones that actually said, and also most definitely Twitter and all the software we use, because other, if it wasn't for that, we'd never be doing this podcast. And also oh, yes. shout out to our good old friend C2H50H, Ethanol. <laughs> oh, yes. And like, this banana bread beer is actually one of my favorite beers. So um... To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all life's problems. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, okay. So uh, just to wrap up. Just because I kind of like doing it before, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing a cool thing of the week thing because that's quite a fun way to wrap up, I think. Yeah, sounds good. What's your cool thing of the week then? Actually, um, the first time in forever. I just recently binged Mindhunter on Netflix, and it's so good. It's about um, it's basically about in the 70s when uh, the FBI kind of Watergate. Bo- no, it, no, it's about um, serial killers and the. It's based off the true story books, but uh, I'm not sure how much of it is true, but. It's, but at least a lot of the figures in it are real and stuff. Like Edward Kemper and stuff like that. Um, nice. Charles Manson. Ah, uh, that old divisive figure. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's 
very good. Um, basically, it's about it's about the FBI developing criminal criminal psychology techniques, which is that kind of, like all all that groovy stuff. Yeah, so like, and trying to figure out how to, how criminals how serial killers think, and it's, it's sort of what goes through their minds. Yeah, so it's I got a fairly cool thing to shout out as well. I'm not sure if you ever heard of like there's a channel I found the other day, and this is absolutely hilarious. Josh Widdicombe sings. Basically, it's sort of like popular songs redone in the style of Josh Widdicombe's voice. I'm not sure if you've ever seen Josh. I have no idea. If you just look on to like The Last Leg, um, Mop the Week, oh, okay. Taskmaster. Oh. oh, actually, I think I might know him. Looks a bit like a hobbit. Yes. Sounds a bit like this. <laughs> no one is drinking alcohol for the taste. I like the taste of milk. I tend to stop after one glass. <laughs> Do you want anything with that, 007? Any drive vodka martini? No, just a pint of Otter's Cock, please. Otter's uh, Cock being a sort of a bit, sort of a craft beer. He's doing the whole sketch about craft beers. Yep. Craft beers have the fucking best names. I know, but like, just Otter's Cock is just sort of one of the best parody examples. It sounds like a real one as well. Yeah, it, it probably could be. It's got ridiculous, the craft beer situation. As good as it may be, probably not for Josh, but... <laughs> or really for me, I can't really remember. All right, anyway. Anyhow, I'm going to wrap it up here and stop whispering yep. about sort of Whittacombe. So, thank you for listening. Feel free to uh, get in touch on Facebook or Twitter at, at facebook.com slash blood and rocks or Twitter at the bloody rocks. If you liked us, leave us a review uh, rating on iTunes or whatever you're listening to. TripAdvisor um, even. Why not? Trip, yeah, go for it. Um, not sure we're listed there yet, but when if we ever do, give us a, give us a good rating. Yeah. Please. Um, yeah, no share us to your yeah, share us to your friends, family on on whatever you're using, uh, Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, Bebo. Anyone remember Bebo. that? Oh man, Bebo, yeah. Uh, and um, I think that's everything. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. That's us out. Cut the music. <laughs>